0: So uh, verse 1, Acts 16. This is in your handout. You can follow along there. Uh, It's also, if you you have your Bible, your Bible app, you can go that route as well. But I'm just going to start by reading the first phrase from Acts 16. Acts 16, verse 1. And uh, it says, Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra. Now, let's stop right there. First to Derby and then to Lystra. These are uh, city towns uh, that were real places. In fact, you know, I'm always go back and forth around this. Is it helpful to use a map or not? But I personally lean to the fact that it is because it reminds us that we're not just reading about made-up places. They are real places, and they happen in the real world. In fact, these places are located in some of the the, the parts of the world right now that are extremely active and in the news. But I'm going to go ahead and have them put up. Uh, a map to give us a sense of context. Okay, you see where the Mediterranean Sea is. You see where Jerusalem is. That's where Israel is, right? That a little sliver. There. This is back in Paul's day, though. Now, if this is, these places are in the news, by the way, all the time. If you if you were to go up from Jerusalem, you would run into Lebanon, Syria. If you then were to go as the as they went on their journey, if you were to go westward, you come into this huge swath, this huge area, this landmass that we call Turkey. Right? Turkey's in the news, it's been in the news a lot these last uh, few days. Right, The release of the pastor there, uh, the whole issue with the journalists that's going on in Saudi Arabia. Tremendous amount of activity happening right there in what used to be called Asia Minor in the Bible is now Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And in fact, you can see how where the Aegean Sea is, and that's Greece. That is a very significant part of the world. It's always been one of those places where it's partly Europe, partly Asia. Turkey has its own identity. But that's where the early churches were established after they left the Jerusalem region. You see the area of Antioch of Syria. This is an important place. It's where, they, it's where the first two journeys for planting churches started. The first journey that Paul went on with his partner, Barnabas, ministry partner Barnabas, they took a ship and they, went, they sailed to Cyprus and they went the other direction like a fish hook around to those cities of, of Iconium, Derbe, and Lystra, right? So they had gone the opposite way. They, they went, took a, a, a ship and had gone and then they traveled eastward. Their last stop was Derbe. But now Paul, on the second missionary journey, he is being sent from Antioch, but they're going to go by land. So they go through the mountain passes of Tarsus, right? And they're going to go through there, and they're going to hit Derby coming from the east. So they're going westward. I'm only saying that because, again, real places, these are important places. And if you were to go back and read the book of Acts, you realize that the first time around when they planted these churches, uh, they, didn't know, they didn't know what kind of reception they were going to get. So about two, two to three years earlier, they had gone on this first pl- first journey, they brought the message of Jesus, churches had sprouted up in those cities. Okay? Now, two to three years later, Paul's thinking, I want to go back. I think God wants us to go back and see how they're doing. The believers in Antioch of Syria, which by the way, that becomes a very important place because it's the first time the church had a kind of equal number of Jewish believers in Jesus and also Gentile, non-Jewish believers in Jesus. And they had come together to form a church that was becoming very, very prominent. And it was, by, it was in Antioch, of Syria that actually people who followed Jesus were first called Christians. That was the place where it first started happening. So they send Paul off. So Paul and his, and his teammate uh, Silas, they head towards these uh, cities. You can see them, right? Derby, Lystra, Iconium. Here's the thing. Derby was the last stop on their first journey, and then they went back and retraced their steps. It's the first place they go. Derby had been the place of, uh, place of peace. We don't know much about what happened there, and it seemed like very little happened besides the fact that there were a group of people who actually believed in Jesus. Some of them were Jewish, some of them were Greek. They believed in Jesus and accepted him. The Jewish believers believed him to be Messiah as he was being preached, the promised one. The Gentile believers were being told they had direct access to God and didn't actually have to become Jewish to follow the God of Israel, that the God of Israel had come to them in a the form of Jesus. It was a very different message, and they could come as well and be baptized. So it was a very expansive, open message. Okay, Derby was the place, you can see it, where not much happened. Paul's first stop. But then they go to Lystra. Some of us may remember this, some of us may not, but Lystra, if Derby was a place of peace, Lystra was a place of utter trauma and horror. It was the place where the first time Paul went there, the people got so mad at him, if you read about it in the book of Acts, I think it's the 14th chapter, the, that a mob sprung up, and the mob surrounded Paul. And what they started doing is they started beating him and tearing his clothes, and eventually they picked up stones. And for the one and only time in Paul's life, people pelted him with rocks. They thought he was dead. He was bloody, unconscious. Some people even think he had died. What They, they thought he was dead. They drug him out of the city and left him like a piece of garbage. And the believers who were there were stunned and just washed, but Paul revived. But he had, then months later, he came back there again to the very place with his wounds still healing. Now he's coming back to Lystra. He's coming back, it's been two or three years. He's gonna see the believers. He's going to the very place where that trauma had happened. I mean, we read this in the Bible and we go, oh yeah, nobody, listen. Okay, I, in your handout you'll see a passage. It's from uh, Corinthians, it's uh, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, eleven. You can see it there. I put a big chunk of it in there. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He's telling them about the things that he suffered on behalf of Jesus. And so he's running through this list, and I want you to see it. And, and we just kind of—I'm going to read through it. Paul's sort of saying, "Here's some things. You, you want to know who? This is the things that I've suffered on behalf of Jesus." And he's looking back back now through the the tunnel of years. He says, three times I was beaten with rods, right? There, There was a particular kind of judgment that could be made on someone with rods. He was beaten. Once I was stoned, pelted with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And then he sort of waxes poetic. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, which is something that pastors do understand. Paul said, I carry all this. But do you notice there was one, he looks back on his life, and he can of all the things he suffered, he can list one time when he was stoned with the rocks. Once I was. And instantaneously, he's going right back to Lystra. That's where it happened. The city that he is now returning to is the very place that stands out in, his sing- in a singular way in his memory. We read it and we go, oh yeah, Paul, you know, he got he got sort of beat up with some rocks thrown at him. Some of us know trauma. Some of us have experienced things that scared us to death. Some of us have have things that honestly, uh, they are so intense, very few people know about it, but we, we have never forgotten them. I mean, just for a moment, remember that Paul is going back into a place where he has been utterly traumatized. I mean, you just get into a—if you can even get into a fight or some type of a verbal disagreement, or even in a, even driving a vehicle or riding a bike, you get any type of a confrontation with anyone. could be anywhere. It—it it does something to your system, right? Immediately, it does. The idea of being beaten, like literally just to a point of unconsciousness. I mean, it, it, to have the rocks being thrown at you, to be have your clothes torn apart. I mean. It is to be, a, that thing doesn't, you just, you just don't, you don't forget that. He, he not only, he had scars on him. There were scars from that thing. He, and, and I, I've, I've always been impressed. I've always been amazed how he walks back. I'm, I'm looking, I'm going, oh my, because look what it says. That Paul, Paul, the first one, back to Acts 16. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy and his mother was a Jewish believer I mean, Paul, it's so casually noted. Oh yeah, Paul decides to go back to Lystra. That's like us saying, think about a, a, trauma, a traumatic event that we would maybe even have some you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome, I mean, there, there could be some PTSD, right? I mean, literally, I mean, there's, there's elements of that that could easily affle- affect, affect someone when we go back into a place where we have felt extraordinarily anxious or stressful or victimized. I mean, that's what he's doing. But he goes back to this city. And one of the things that's kind of remarkable that's noted here is that actually this is where he meets a young disciple who's going to affect his life. And you know what? Listen, he's going to meet a young man. The young man's name is Timothy. And you never know when a relationship is going to change your life forever, a friendship that you weren't expecting. And it alters it, becomes a gift to you. Timothy is, of course, destined to become a great leader and a pastor in the early church. His bond with Paul will become so strong that in Paul's letters to Timothy that we call 1 and 2 Timothy, books in the New Testament, it's clear that Timothy holds a singular place in the heart of the great apostle. His friendship, his loyalty, his character, the purity uh, that Paul sees in this young man, the sincerity that he sees, that he sees... So the genuineness of his faith, the authenticity of his confession, the genuine heart that he has for God is so, so impressive to Paul. Paul says, I have no one like this young man. I have no one like him. He, Paul says, you are like a son. He calls him his son in the faith. He says, you are like my son. You are a son to me in the faith. I love you. And, and, and you've got to understand, Timothy, what we're told, what are we told here about Timothy You look at it, we're told it's something interesting. It wasn't coincidence, it's thrown in there. Timothy had a mother who was Jewish. You see, his mother was Jewish. She was a Jewish believer, so she believed in Jesus as Messiah, she was of Jewish descent and ethnicity. But Timothy had a father who was a Gentile, non-Jewish, he was a Greek, and he, Timothy's father, did not appear to have been a believer. So Timothy is raised in an environment where he has a woman who, his mother, and also we know his grandmother, were were believers and genuinely believers in God and had received Jesus. But his father apparently was uninterested or not a believer at all. And so so it's sort of an interesting context because when we look at this, we, we look at it and we go, Timothy becomes for Paul, though, the embodiment of his mission and ministry. Stay with me on this. When Paul is called, um, you, okay, he calls himself this. He says, I'm, I, was, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. No, basically he's saying this, no one's, no one's more, been more Jewish than me. He goes, I was, I was a Pharisee. I was trained in the great Gamaliel. In that day, it would be like saying that you were trained at the highest levels in the faith. Remember, you gotta remember, Paul, when he was known earlier as Saul, Utterly despised the way of Jesus and hated those who followed him. Hated them. Was capable of violence and actually separated families and persecuted the church. He was the first in a long line of persecutors. But he had been radically altered by an incident that the Bible records. And he tells about at least three times in the book of Acts that he says, I had this confrontation with the living Jesus. I saw a vision of him, but it was so real. It was real. He met me. And there's this whole interaction. Paul It changed Paul radically from, from a fierce opponent to the greatest advocate probably of, for Christ this world has ever known. So Paul, though, interestingly enough, when he, he gets blinded in that incident, he's then told that you I've called you. God says, I've called you, and I'm going to show you how many things you're going to suffer for me, which you just read a list of that it was true. And then he says, but I'm also going to, I'm going to take you into the world of the Gentiles and you are going to proclaim this message on my behalf into the places of the Gentile world where the message, my message has to go. And I am appointing you to go and take it there. So we have this unique person in Paul. He is a former Pharisee trained at the deepest levels in the ways of his people. He knows Judaism. He understands it deeply. He loves his people wants to see them accept Jesus as the Messiah, will do anything he can. He says, I give my life for Israel. I give my life for my people. I would if they would come to know him. But he also has this calling on his life to reach the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world, the Greek world, the Greco-Roman world that the church has been planted in, and he's, he knows that's his primary calling. So when he meets Timothy, it's not only does he love this young man's character, but he sees in him the embodiment of the two great passions he has. On the one hand, Timothy is half Jewish, right? He's got that connection there. But he's also Greek, and he's got that connection. So you bring it all together, and it's this unique combination. Now, watch what happens, right? Because it's, well, oh, and you know what makes it even more remarkable, right? Is that where does Timothy where do we where was Timothy? How does Paul get connected to Timothy? Where was it? It was in Lystra. The place of his worst beating is the place of his greatest gift. Out of the worst came the wonderful. Out of the stones came the gem. Let it speak. Let it speak. God can do in the worst chapters of our lives Whew. the worst places of our lives that out of that place the place of stones came the gift the gift of a person of a young man who meant so much to Paul now watch what happens in their relationship it goes on watch this Timothy was it says here in verse 2 Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lister and Iconium so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey but in deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, you read this. Paul is highly adaptive. He's a pragmatist. He's an idealist and a pragmatist. He's a very interesting person, totally committed, yet with a high degree of flexibility, if it means, for him, the ability to take the message of Jesus, he, would, he had core principles that could never be compromised. He would not violate the scripture and there were certain things that he would not do to grieve the spirit but after that everything was open he would adapt to whatever culture he had to if he meant that he could create an opening to bring the message of Jesus so he's looking at the situation because here's understand what we're about to just read there Paul basically says because some of us may most of us know what circumcision is circumcision was something that was planted it's the removal of the male foreskin uh, It was something that went back for the Jewish people all the way to the beginning with Abraham when God made a covenant with Abraham. And that was one of the unique characteristics of covenant, of agreement, that there would be circumcision, the males. And it was carried on for generations. But clearly Timothy saw himself more through the lens of his father, who was a Greek, Gentile, and he wasn't circumcised. Paul says, Timothy, I would love for you to come with us on this journey. I think you need to be there. He goes, but essentially... You know, but there is one thing that you're going to need to do. There's good news and bad news. Okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, give me the good news first. We want you to come. What's the bad news? You tell him, Silas, uh, you're going to need to get circumcised. You're joking, right? No, I'm serious. You're going to need to get circumcised. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a man right now. I'm, yeah, you're going to need to get circumcised, and here's why. Why? Because wherever we go, we go to the synagogue first, every community we go to, every town we go to. The place where I know I can meet people who are open to talking about the scriptures is the synagogue. The Jewish leaders are there. And there are also believers who are Gentiles who come as well. They maybe haven't crossed the line themselves to become Jewish. They haven't been circumcised, but they believe everything about the message of God to Israel. They believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It's in these places where we are able to talk first about the scriptures. We are able to present Jesus as the promised one. We are able to present him and I am able to tell my story. Here's the problem though. The Jewish leaders in the synagogue, they will not allow for a person who has not been circumcised to come in and share that sacred space in that way. What that means is if I wanna take you on the team with me and have the ability to maneuver, I need you not because I believe it's necessary for your salvation by any means, but I need you to work with me because I have to have the flexibility to be able to get a hearing with them. And the only way that'll happen if I have you is if you agree to be circumcised. Oh, wow. And he does it. Now, it took a while to heal. It did. But he did it. And again, it shows us Paul's flexibility and the way in which he looked at things. He says, I will do all things that I might win some to Christ. He was extraordinarily nimble like I said, he, was ad- he understood Greek culture. It wasn't foreign to him. He understood the so deeply entrenched in the training of a scripture. Uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees trained under the premier teacher of his day, and yet at the same time, fully capable of interacting with people around Greek poetry, the philosophers. He understood culture. It didn't seem weird to him, but of course he, he understood his limits. But he was extraordinarily nimble. And he wants Timothy to do the same thing. Now, that's the, that, oh, look what it says happens. Uh, it says that, uh, verse four, then they went from town to town and strengthened the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. And then verse five, the churches were strengthened in their faith. They grew larger every day, actually, because of it. So that's the teaching. Now I want to apply it for us. What I want to do in the few minutes we have left is take what we've just shared and principally speaking, apply it to our own lives to give us a little bit more of equipment to maneuver through things that are gonna be tough when they hit us. Some of us may be in them right now, okay? First thing I wanna suggest, and it's something Paul models, is we need to have a short memory, here we go, we'll put it up there, short memory and a long faith. Short memory and a long faith. Again, I see Paul walking back into Lystra, and I'm going, oh my goodness, but he's choosing to set it back. He's, he's not focused on <laughs> how could I put it? I, when I see this, I go, I kept thinking about him walking back into the place of his his where he was traumatized, beaten, and how much courage it took for him to go back into that same place after he had experienced the trauma. And there are gonna be times when we hit walls or experience tremendous setback. Things in our lives that may be extraordinarily devastating, painful, we may suffer. Some of us have known suffering. And when you know it, you join a fellowship. It's the fellowship of suffering. And when you know it, it changes you. When you know it truly deeply. Paul, in his case, the first time he returned to Lystra, he was still nursing his wounds. The second time he had scars. But in both cases, hear me out, hear hear me out. In both cases, he had to bring his fear into submission to his faith. He had to bring his fear into submission to his faith. Uh, uh, He had to trust the Lord and move in courage. And I'm confident that when certain things crossed his mind, you know, we know they were, it was indelibly printed that he had to keep, Whenever that, when I, I can imagine him walking back into the very place and he's thinking these things. He can remember it so vividly, but he has to bring his fear into submission to his faith and keep falling forward. And he walks right back into the very place where part of him, I am positive, didn't want to be. He could remember. What? Some of us, I, I know in my own life, there have been certain times where you know we're all different there might be something that you could walk through and um, but but maybe for me is a very hard thing for someone else is nothing because of some experience i've had like there's all kinds of stuff that could be triggered by that right other times someone like you might have something and you go For me, this is like brutal. And someone else might go, what's the big deal? Come on. But it's connected to something. And it has has power. It has power. I can remember back to a period where I remember I had something happen to me where it was the first time I really felt like I was so scared. I, I... I had to go back and face something that I had, the last time I had been there, it had damaged me. It hurt me, hurt me good. Like I probably shouldn't have even been in it. I'm speaking in vague terms now, but the fact is that I experienced something that I was already hurting and I pushed myself beyond wisdom and I hurt myself more deeply. And at a certain point, I had to come back around and walk back into that place and I remember how hard it was and some of us can relate to this you have areas in your life where it is so hard to move forward it takes so much courage and i can still remember like talking to myself and the lord saying okay you need lord help me i could feel my body like i feel it i could feel almost like a panic that stress kind of kick in and reconnect me back to that moment. So the interesting dynamic, when you feel it, you know it. Those of you who know, you know. And I'm saying, Lord, I need you to help me right now to be courageous. This is so hard for me. And for someone else, it may have been nothing. But I knew how hard it was for me because it was connecting me back to something that I had not done well with. Right? And I felt damaged. So I'm going back into that place. Some of us understand that. It, it And I remember in that moment, I was just, I just what I did, I got myself up to the spot, and I just I, I was all by myself. I got alone by myself in a basically like a closet. And I just said, Lord, I, I got down on my knee. I still remember it. I said, Lord, I need you to help me right now. To be courageous. To help me. Help me. And and then I had, and, and so one of the things we can do, and I, I just said, hey, let's note these things. We're in that place we can pray, all right? Well, there's a lot of times where having a passage of scripture can be really helpful in a certain season that you claim as your own. So I, like if you're going through a season where it's really hard and you're having to face things that connect back to stuff that, that, that scares us, right? Or on the inside triggers us back to places and, and reminds us of things that, oh, this is so hard for me right now. If they, a lot of times what we have is we can pull back into a passage of Scripture that can hold us, right? And then, and then we claim that word for the season that we're in, which is what I was doing, sort of like just letting that, 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 just reminding myself of the promise that God had given. And then a lot of times the next thing we do is we move forward, but we keep that positive attitude, right? So we, we move, keep moving. I call it falling forward in faith, Right? It's basically just faith is falling forward. It's putting feet to our faith. For, you think about walking. What is walking? It's just falling forward. So a lot of times God just wants us to walk into it with courage. I say that because a lot of times some of us may be finding ourselves in situations where, we, we, where tremendous courage is required. I'm going to suggest that in those places, and we'll just put this up there as well, we need to be stubbornly resilient and remember that the more we step into our fear, the more that fear will weaken, and the stronger we will grow. I guarantee you, the second time that Paul returned to Lystra, it was easier than the first time. Well, that time it's just you. Get, if you can get past that first time and you do it in faith, what happens is you start to grow, and that fear begins to lose its grip over us, and we're able to move forward into it by faith. And what happens is we say, "Lord, I bring you in," and and what we know again, what happens is our strength grows. And if we stay with it and don't run from it and ask God to help us to face things courageously, what happens is, over time, the fear no longer can claim us. It can no longer claim us. I mean, Paul gets to the point where he is at ease in the place of his greatest physical devastation, trauma. And he can be there and be strong in the Lord and love and move forward, I mean, it's an amazing model for us. I'll I'll leave it with this. I really think the Lord wants to teach us how to be adaptable, and he wants us to practice adaptability, and I'm gonna explain what I mean by that as we sort of come around the closing bend. Because again, I mentioned how Paul was not only stubborn, he was flexible. He He had Timothy circumcised because he had a higher purpose in mind, right? Okay, stay with me. Stay with me. He didn't try to change reality. He adapted to reality. One of the things that happens when we face certain things in our lives that are hard is we fight them. Do not fight life. Don't fight life. What are you talking about? We come into a situation. We go, I, I don't like this. What am I going to do about it? Uh, and then we start to like tighten up. We start fighting it on the inside. It starts to define us. We're struggling. We're angry. Why is this happening to me? This is not fair. This is not right. I'm, I'm going to find my way through. This. Look, when a it, when it change hits us that we don't want, guess what we need to do? First move commit ourselves to the unchanging one. The change that, I can't change certain things. There might be certain things I go, man, I wish I could change that. I can't. Now, some things we can go, I'm gonna try to fight, you know, I'm gonna try to take a stance on but there are some things we get hit with and go, I can't change it. Maybe I can change it late, maybe some, I, I, I can't change it, and even if I could, maybe I can change it later, but I know I can't change it now. So what do we do? what do I do about that? You see, Paul's thing was, instead of fighting that, I'm gonna find an alternative route. I'm gonna find an alternative route. I'm gonna ask God to show me a different way to go at this thing. I'm gonna suggest that when we try to fight a problem in our life, and we just keep hunkering down over that, it starts to define us, and you know what that does? It squeezes out all our, all our creativity. It squeezes out all our capacity to problem solve. It begins to squish out Faith, as fear begins to set in, we just tighten everything up. We start fighting ourselves on the inside. It starts showing up physically. That is, we don't, don't fight life. Paul says, hey, Timothy, this is the way it is. I wish it wasn't the way it is, but you know what? We're just going to work with it. We'll do this. Don't fight life. The peace of God. A lot of times where I know I'm, I'm moving in the wrong direction is because I'm getting tighter and tighter and tighter. I'm afraid, I'm scared. I gotta get rid of this thing. What if this happens?
1: What if I don't get out of this
0: thing? That's fighting. What if they don't change? I can't change another person. We could change, you know what I'm saying? I can't change, the, but this is it. Don't fight, yield. The Lord's, hmm. Stay in peace, stay in promise, stay positive as much as possible, I'm not gonna fight this situation, I'm gonna accept it at some level, and I'm gonna ask God to give me creative problem-solving, and I'm gonna make the best of it, and who knows, out of the worst, listen, may come the wonderful, and out of the stones, may come the gem. Let's pray, all right? So Lord, um, I wanna ask you to help all of us to continue to not be defined by the problems, the hurts, and the pain of life, which they're real, some of them are real, and they're, more, and they're not all the same, and sometimes they're connected to stuff that other people may have no idea of it, but it, it has such a hold on us, and it could even drive us into, into addictive patterns, or uh, it can get us, get us beginning to, to question even you. Um, it can shake our confidence at core levels. It can get us to be very destructive in our panic, to try to solve things that we just tighten everything up, Lord, whatever it is, help us to, to trust you that, um, that even the, even in the worst, the lister places of our lives can actually become gifts to us. I know it sounds unbelievable, but those places can become gifts to us because they they de- they deepen us. We become far more empathetic and humble. We become more grateful for you. And then all of a sudden sometimes we see, I know it, it's... It's a promise I want to pray over everyone, including myself. We see the grace of God show up, and out of that place comes a Timothy. And so I just pray for your blessing over the remaining minutes that we have here. Let the words settle in, the song that we close with, like it's trying to remind us to find our voice in you through the difficult places. So bless our time of giving. Bless this song we close with. Let our hearts be soft before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.